The birth of any child is an exciting and joyous thing, but what makes the birth of Jesus so very special? Today on the Midweek Move, we're going to talk about that. Welcome to the Midweek Move, podcast extension of The Healing Place. This is a podcast where we examine scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and ask ourselves, what is happening here? And today, ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited because joining us uh, at the podcast table uh, is a guest that hasn't been here in almost over a year now. It's our friend Doug Parker. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. It's actually been almost two years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It has, hasn't. Man, yeah. time is, flies by. Yes, <laughs> Last time you here, I think we were on the other side of the room at a wood table. <laughs> I think that's what the deal is. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing you off. You're like, why is it so different? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Doug, I'm so glad to have you here. For those of you guys who don't know, Doug, Doug is the uh, an associate pastor over at Destiny Church in uh, Virginia. And you're also president of Direct Message Ministries. Uh, yes. What, what is Direct Message Ministries? Well, Direct Message Ministries is an itinerant ministry that my wife and I have been given a vision uh, from the Lord. And as a matter of fact, when we were here last time, mm-hmm. I was so pumped by the things that I saw here in some impartation by your pastor, Pastor Scott Etheridge, that we went ahead and launched that ministry. And we're an itinerant ministry, and we lean heavily into the prophetic. We do a lot of teaching uh, on the prophetic and deliverance as well. Also, church leadership, where that falls in. So those are our, our, our three big areas, our leadership, prophetic, and, and deliverance is awesome. what we lean into. Very heavy schedule for us lately, the last uh, several months. Uh, there was a, a stretch here not long ago that I was gone for five weeks from oh Destiny goodness. Church, but we're kind of... Uh, so I see in this season right. now. So this is one of my last stops on my tour for, for a season. So we're excited to be here. Get some rest on the backside of that. <laughs> yes. yes. Good deal. Well, I'm excited to have you on as we continue. We've been in this journey of Luke, and uh, we did uh, chapter one over a series of like five or six weeks. And uh, yeah. and uh, we're going to take our time also with uh, chapter two. And that's one of the things we talk yes. about often is, People just sometimes you just blow through scriptures. We're like, I just need to get through this. You <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, I've I've read Luke two many times. My wife and I for Christmas. That's our, our traditions. We sit down together right before yeah. uh, the day starts. We're eating breakfast together, and we'll read through the, the the quote unquote Christmas story together. Yeah. But even then, like sitting down to study for today, like I, there's things I just I didn't think about, and I'm that's why we do this line yes. by line, verse by verse. If we take our time to really absorb the scriptures. It, it opens up stuff for us that maybe we didn't see before. Exactly. So, well, good. Well, like I said, over the last several weeks, we've been going through uh, Luke chapter 1 and how Luke uses a traditional Hebraic form of storytelling, bouncing back and forth between Jesus' story and John the Baptist's story and kind of creating a, a way of uh, comparing the two uh, individuals because, again, he's writing to a, a – uh, some sort of official who's like, I need to know who this Jesus guy is. I'm hearing these stories, and there's yeah. this guy, John, who's this guy? Right. And so Luke is giving this guy a, a complete picture of what's taking place. And what's interesting is that uh, Jesus' story, it's not as quite as lengthy as intense as John's. Like, John's is like, he's the dad's been made mute, mother's gone away, and all sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. And then there's this whole thing, it's like, you can't name him John. You know, there's <laughs> all this stuff. Yes. And Jesus is, it's spectacular, but it's not quite as much as that. And, um, yes. But Luke is going to be really particular about pointing out some, the political atmosphere that's taking place also. Exactly. Uh, and the fact that Bethlehem is the town of David and the very humble beginnings of Jesus. So I'm pretty excited about jumping into this with you. Yes. All right. Well, let's do it. Uh, Luke chapter 1, or chapter 2, sorry. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 real quick. 
It says this, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place with Quirinius. That's what we're going with today, right? Yeah, so we're going on Quirinius? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Was uh, governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone in his own town. So Luke begins by giving us the original readers a very specific point of history. Yes. I mean, this is a natural thing. I mean, if you're writing a letter to somebody, you're, you're going to be like, all right, so this is where we're at. This is what's going on uh-huh. because it just makes sense. Uh, now, this detail that was very specific, this is one of our proofs as believers going, oh, yeah, this is the historical accuracy. Right. There are some today who they try to use this as a jumping off point to try to deny the accuracy of the scriptures and yeah. the accuracy of Luke uh, because there's this whole conversation about Quinarius and what's taking place. Uh the time of the um, well-known Caesar uh, census that Quinarius did was actually several years after the birth of Jesus, not at the birth of Jesus. So the question becomes, how do we reconcile this? And there are two major ideas that, honestly, most scholars are like, yeah, this, this is probably it. This is, what, this is more likely what's taking place. Secular yeah. and non-secular uh, are believing <laughs> scholars. But one is uh, Luke is speaking of a previous census that was taken. Huh? which uh, at the time was common knowledge but had been lost to ages, which, I mean, I know our government's lost many records. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a new thing right. for things to take place. Uh, and, again, this is not uncommon to happen with ancient documents. Things happen. They degrade. Right. They erode. Erode? Erode. Erode. I don't know why yeah. I messed that word up. <laughs> and, uh, but then there's the Greek, this is the really interesting thing I found, Doug, was um, the Greek term protos, while it does translate as the word first, which we see in the passage, mm-hmm. Uh, it can also translate to former or prior. And so a lot of scholars are looking at this like, you know, likely a better way for translating this is that this is the census that was made when uh, made before that was what, what Canaris made yes. as, or was governor. And so that's kind of the the back and forth people have. Is yeah. it going to wreck everything for us? No, not really. Not at all. And <laughs> But it's one of those things like, like I said, you know, yeah, dealing with uh, people – uh, and we're in the season right now. I'm sure you've heard, seen these people that are the ex-evangelicals or the uh-huh. deconstructionists. The deconstructionists they look at the yeah. scripture and they just throw it out. And right. it's like they look for these small yep. things. They go, well, this is inconsistent. Is it inconsistent? And it's like it's that kind of critical thinking you got to work through. How do you right. handle that when you deal with somebody that like maybe they're going through that whole deconstruction yeah. aspect? How do you help them through that? Looking, hey, let's look at the scriptures well. How do you walk somebody through that? Yeah. You know, I... I I tell them it's it's nice when we have uh, historical records and secular means and history books and things like that, secular accounts that they confirm scripture. But I really believe that scripture confirms itself, mm-hmm. you know, so there's not going to be every instance where we're going to have a historical event that's going to confirm scripture. Right. A lot of times um, scripture confirms historical events right <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. so i really ask them not to get caught in the weeds and and not that i'm passing over on that or just glazing over in that mm-hmm. i was telling them all all scripture is given by inspiration of god you know so there are things which are just secret to where we don't know i say secret because they hadn't been revealed right in god's timing yet so i, I really try to get them to understand that it is the faith of the person not necessarily the the documentation because even you know we say the scripture Context is infallible, but man is not. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I try to walk them through yeah. those things. I mean, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And again, we one of the things that we, we've taught people over the years is uh, we have writings closer to the original dates of the biblical experience yeah. than we do documents 
going back to ancient Rome. Yes. Like it's just, it's from a critical standpoint, this is a, one of the most historically accurate documents. And you brought up a great point. You know, so we sometimes confirm history. Yeah. Uh, Scott told a story a couple weeks ago about how uh, there were some archaeologists out and just kind of tripped over a, a piece of rock and there was a coin and they oh, flipped wow. it over and it was from an army that had defeated the armies of David. And they're documenting how they defeated the armies of David. And all of a sudden, oh, wow. this changed. They're like, wait a minute. This affirms that David's a real guy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they start digging. Like, they find the city of David. Oh, my goodness. And it's like, we've been talking about this for years. The Christians are just <laughs> like, yeah, we, it's been here. We told you. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the exactly. secular world, because you know, there's some pushback against it. And of course, if yes. you get rid of David, you get rid of the whole idea of the Messiah and everything like that. Yeah. And the Bible is like, hey, we're here. And it's just, yeah. you know, we haven't found everything sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's continue on. Verse 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So Joseph takes his pregnant fiance with him yeah. to his hometown uh, in, in Bethlehem to be counted for the census. And you know, this is a this is a big ordeal. Um, we know from other accounts in the synoptics that uh, by our rights he should have stoned her. You know, yeah. and but he but the angel Lord said, No, don't do that. This is my yeah. will. And he's like, Well, okay, cool. Yeah. And so he's he's literally guarding, you know, the presence of God within this woman that he he's but he loves, he betrothed yeah. to. And uh so my question for you though is why is it important though that Luke is working I mean, he's working really hard to establish that Joseph is from the city of David and that he was also from the house and lineage of David. Yeah. Well, you know, uh in those times a stepfather had the right, if he adopted a child, uh, they would have all the same rights as, as, as a, uh, the birth rights and rights, responsibilities, heritage of a, uh, a biological son. So Joseph, uh, being in all accounts, he really did adopt Jesus from my understanding. Mm -hmm. And because Joseph himself was a, a descendant of David through Solomon, mm -hmm. And then I've, obviously Mary was a descendant of David through Nathan. What happened was that he had a right to the throne based on the lineage of his uh, connection with Solomon all the way to David. Yeah. So it establishes Jesus' right to take the throne of, of David. Exactly. Like this is an essential aspect that yeah. I think we kind of glaze over. Like, you know, we hear the story about the blind man going, Jesus, son of David. Yeah. And, but like, that's a, that's a, that's a major thing to be connected to David. Yes. Because it is because God's promise came through Abraham, through David, and God's promise to David was on your throne. Yeah. Is where everything's gonna take place. And uh Exactly. Just kind of like the example we gave a minute ago about the coin being found. If you remove David, you mm -hmm. remove the messiahship of Jesus. There you go. And we have to have both of these things take place. All right. So good. Verse 6, uh, so it was uh, that while they were there, the days were completed to, for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room at the end. Now, this is, a, um, this is the scene we all see in the Christmas stories. <laughs> yeah. You know, we see it in the, in the pageants with the little kids and little, you know, <laughs> Little yeah. ones dressed up as lambs and sheep, bad and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So, but despite this, the Christmas imagery we, we have of Mary, 
barely making it to because I mean that's like every movie. That was yeah. there was a movie that came out like I think it was called Nazareth or something like that. Where like yeah. they barely make it into the room before she's giving <laughs> yes. birth right there on the floor. You know, <laughs> there's like exactly. in there. Yeah. dramatic music, all this other stuff. But besides that, like Luke doesn't really say that. Um, say that's what took place, right? Right. Luke says that while they were present in Bethlehem, mm-hmm. she gave birth to Jesus. Uh, now it's interesting that Luke makes sure to point out that uh, Jesus was her firstborn son. Yes. Um, if he were the only child birthed out of Mary, Luke would not have said that. Right. He would have been very clear. He's like, this is the, you know, whatever. Yeah. But this is the firstborn. And there's a lot of precedence on saying firstborn. There's a lot of that whole aspect of going, because the firstborn always gets priority. They get the yeah. certain things or certain blessings come on it. But it's also pointed out, contrary to what some people believe, yeah. Mary and Joseph had normal marital relationships. Right. <laughs> they had children. There were others who came forth, some of which were, you know, James, uh, wrote a whole book in the Bible. Uh-huh. Jude, who wrote a whole book in the Bible. This is a, yeah. he had siblings. Half yes. siblings, we had siblings. Um, Interesting, yeah. So let me ask you this, though. This this is a really a humble situation i mean right. they're in a stable mm-hmm. that's you don't get more much more humble than that um, right. i used to live in a very rural town called ashgrove missouri and okay. uh it was a farm town and i i've smelt smells i never want to smell again <laughs> in Correct. many a barn yeah and that's where jesus was born uh-huh. um so it's it seems like a terrible place for yeah the King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, to be born right. in this place. If we could speculate, what could these humble beginnings symbolize as far as the character and nature of Jesus Himself? You know, um, I, I kind of look at that in in reverse when I when I just look at the announcement of the one of the greatest prophets, John the Baptist, in in uh, John chapter one verse thirty nine. He says, "Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world." Now, he is announcing Jesus, and we know these humble beginnings. But it's so cool. It's the way that he presents this. He says, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. But then he says, he takes, you know, John the Baptist was kind of gangster. You know, <laughs> yeah. he, you, know you think about him, and we, he's depicted in the play, or, you know, how he was dressed um, in, in uh, <laughs> I say he was dressed in pine cones sometimes, you know. <laughs> but if when, he, when John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God, which talks about his humility, but prophetically he says takes, he takes. When, when you think the concept of the way John the Baptist would communicate, when he says takes, it's kind of a violent act. He mm-hmm. takes away the sins of the world. Yeah. Not that just there's some passive scenario to which the Lamb of God does something very passive with, with people in, in dealing with sin. He's very violent in his spiritual realm, the way that he took away the sins, the work that he did on the cross, and then he went to hell on behalf of, of Christendom, right. so to speak. It's, it's very, so it, we're contrasting two points in, in that scenario. Jesus is humble. He's very humble. Right. But at the same time, he is the lion, mm. not just the lamb. Right. So when you look at those two things, it's, it's pretty cool how you get a picture of both scenarios. Right. And even, like I said, with with. John the Baptist having that revelation who says when he uses the word takes, I don't think he meant it in a passive way. Mm-hmm. Just on the, the way that he was describing. This is based on a revelation. Yeah. He hadn't even met Jesus yet. Absolutely. Yeah. So we understand the humility of Jesus, but we, if we also understand that there's a very um, a spiritual dynamic to Jesus that's, that's very forthright, mm-hmm. very strong. So we have a Savior who's very gentle, 
and he's also a lion at the yeah. same time. You bring up an interesting point about this dichotomy of the two. There's this yeah. brave warrior, but you also have this lynched lamb. Uh, we've talked about this before several times on the show, is that some people, they have this hard time of distinct yeah. of not distinguishing, but they tend to focus on just one aspect of God. Either they have yeah. this view of God, and it's like, it's this loving, caring father who just never does anything. And then you have this other one who's like, oh, he's going to roast me, and that's it. God <laughs> hates me. This is terrible. There's yeah. no um, balance to things. Right. And I know you're, 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 you're kind of in charge of the stop aspect of things at Chester. When you're walking, when you're discipling people, yeah. and you see somebody, man, they're, they're leaning hard into one view or the other, Yeah. which, again, one view is very biblical. The other one's biblical, but yeah, if it's all you have, you can get anti-biblical. How do right. you help somebody balance that aspect out? That duality of going, look, this is yes, a loving father, but this is a yeah. you know he's a just king. This is a humble right. king, but he's also a brave warrior who takes away and he's thrusting. Like, how do you yeah. walk somebody through that process? I usually tell people that their filter or lens for 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 Jesus is their filter or their lens for themselves. Okay. You know, so I deal a lot with the prophetic and I teach people the prophetic and how to operate. It's amazing when you ask someone, what is God saying? And someone usually speaks from their own filter, someone who's very passive and, and docile. A lot of times they'll communicate passively. The Lord loves us and he says, it's going to be okay. And then someone with a more, you know, boisterous spirit is the Lord is not pleased with what we're doing. <laughs> and and I, I tell them to do your best not to put your own filters on it, but do mm. Develop a relationship to the Lord where you hear exactly what he's saying and balance it with scripture. It's going, if you're just prophetic and you don't use any scripture, you only get your filters for your own personality, your only life experiences, but you have to weigh it all against the word of God and it'll give you a more balanced, uh, balanced view of the personality of Jesus. Awesome. So basically, we will say somebody's listening to this podcast and they heard this and they're like, okay, I need to have a balance. And they have this revelation like, I've really been misrepresenting God all this time. Yeah. How do you walk somebody? Because, I've, I've known people who, like, they have a revelation. They go, man, I've missed it. Like, Jesus is not the lucky-go-lucky, you know, hippie with the field. Right. Uh, and I've known people who were, like, um, they were they were part of a particular camp of individuals who were very hardline, raw, yeah. and they had this revelation that they've allowed that mindset to be that, that heart in their hearts and not yeah. loving towards people. Right. Um they have this revelation. There's a level of guilt that comes on people I've seen. Yeah. How do you walk them through going, hey, look, you've realized, but let's move forward. Like, how do you, like, lovingly walk them through that situation? Yeah. I tell them that, um, and I always, you know, s- start with grace. It's, you know, the mm. grace of the Father, you know, it, it covers you. You know, whatever shortcomings that we have, we, we never walk in, in perfection, mm-hmm. but you have to give yourself space to learn, mm. you know, and, and I, I would lean a little bit more into grace in those scenarios like that. But then I always feel like I kind of hold them accountable. And in that one-on-one time, in a pers- personal relationship with Jesus, when you're in the presence of the Lord, you know, your your mind gets off yourself. Mm. And you get on, uh, you have a filter for what he is saying, present, present tense right now. And then typically, you teach someone and you disciple them in the areas of prayer and personal discipleship. Mm-hmm. I really try to take the focus off of themselves and put the more focus back on on the Lord. And it seems that in my experience, it's helped people to get out of that pit of you know misrepresenting Jesus. I think we we all have it sometimes, <laughs> and we all will continue to do so. The more that we learn about Him, right. the more that we can speak you know more surely about what He's personality. Awesome, awesome. All right, guys. Well, we could go on into the next one. We're going to hold off and go uh, go into the next section next week. Um, but I want to hear from you guys. How has this encouraged you? Has this challenged you? 
Uh, reach out to us, mediahub at teachmistreport.com. That's how you can email us, or you can find Midweek Move on Facebook. And don't forget to leave comments on the YouTube channel. It helps it kind of grow and get it out. Until next time, have a great week.